You're listening to DraftKings Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Anyone else's group chat still on fire right now because of the Chris Rock, Will Smith thing? Come on, man. <laughs> Mine's still going. We're still, we're still debating it. I think it's real. It's Wednesday morning, man. It's tired. Yeah, you guys are so Monday. It's in the past, Tom. We moved on. He won the trophy. He's the best actor. What else do you want to talk about? Do you want to talk about Spo throwing a clipboard? Is that hot in your group chat? Yes, I do. Come on. I man. do. I do. Because now I'm rethinking things. Now that there's a debate about whether this whole Chris Rock, Will Smith, Oscar night slap was real or whether it was staged. I'm team real, by the way. I have a couple of reasons for it, but... Beside the point, now I'm reevaluating everything. Like, was the Spo Jimmy Butler UD fracas kerfuffle? Was that stage two? I just don't know what's real or what's fake anymore. I mean, it's funny because I told Zach Harper, remember when Udonis Haslam cussed out everybody during the finals? I said that changed the trajectory of the finals. And Zach always points out, but they lost that game. And I said, no, no, it's never about that game. It's about the next game. And what happened with the Heat when they had that whole thing? Wasn't that game? wasn't the next game either. I think they lost the next game. But two games later, they won. <laughs> if you remember, 2006, Gary Payton and D. Wade had a little spat on the sidelines in the first round against Chicago. And then they win that series. And then they go on and win the title in 2012. You had Spo going at it with D. Wade in the timeout against the uh, Indiana Pacers. And what do they do in the next game? LeBron and D. Wade drop 70 and they win the next game and win the series and win the title. 2013, there were absolutely no speed bumps in that season. It was just they won 27 games in a row or whatever. They didn't need a fight. What the hell are we doing, man? I'm just saying, do we not know for a fact that Pat Riley isn't pulling the strings here and having Jimmy Butler go at Spo because he knows that's what this team needs in order to get over the hump and win a title? Maybe I'm thinking Pat Riley, the godfather, is really... The one working the strings here. Can we just talk about something that isn't ancient news? My assignment. Uncover why the association inspires more conspiracy theories in volume and salience than any other U.S. sport. You've heard of the Illuminati. The truth is out there, but so are lies. Your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. The NBA has always been controlled by about eight people. Denial is the most predictable of all human responses. If you're only using 10% of your brain, you don't even know that you're using 10% of your brain. The NBA Illuminati. If coincidences are just coincidences, why do they feel so contrived? The Illuminati. But you start to follow the money, and you don't know where the f*** is going to take you. It is unspoken. They have influence among other players. The NBA Illuminati. I don't have time for your convenient ignorance. Maybe I'm a conspiracist now as well. That's but all it took. Oh, we got books, we got schools. You saw a video on YouTube. <laughs> Why am I, sir? You've never used them before. We are the basketball Illuminati. <laughs> Welcome to Basketball Illuminati. I'm Tom Haberstroh, and as always, I'm joined by my Illuminati comrades, Amin El-Hassan and producer Anthony Mays. We've got lots to get into in today's episode. Thick episode. We're going to talk about Big Yukon. <laughs> We're going to bring in our special guests. Our truth correspondents. From Off the Looking Glass podcast, Kate Fagan and Jessica Smetana. That's one way to see behind the curtain, Tom. Off the looking glass. We'll also get into lost graphic propaganda. Probably my favorite of all of the things that we've worked on this show. That segment, I was blind, but now I see, is going to be fire. But first... 
are listening to The Agenda with Tom Haverstrow and Amin El Hassan. Woo-wee! Amin, we've got a lot of spice coming from Dylan Brooks out of Memphis. Of course, the Memphis Grizzlies, everyone's favorite team, even without John Morant. They're 18 and 2 this season. They blasted the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, they didn't have Steph Curry. Yeah, they didn't have Draymond Green. But who cares? They blasted the Andre Iguodala team. Remember, folks, the Warriors traded Andre Iguodala in a package to the Memphis Grizzlies, and Andre Iguodala did not report. And Amin, this lit a fire in Memphis. Just being here in this moment, looking back to that moment, what you think about how this team has developed? Um, it developed a lot, and we all had the vision, and he didn't, which is perfect. You know, send him back to the Warriors and let him, you know, do his thing over there. Um, but, you know, we were, um, from the beginning, you know, we were growing a base. We had a base and we just kept building and building and building and more guys got, um, on the train and, um, we were able to, you know, create something like this and, you know, keep building this dynasty. And This guy, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> dynasty. Sometimes you got to close your third eye. I truly believe it. <laughs> what is he talking about? I'm going to tell you one thing right here. Dylan Brooks, as you said, I love Dylan Brooks. I love the Memphis Grizzlies. I think they're a fun team. I think they're going places. Will you take a shot at one of us? This metal lot crew? Oh, homie, we're about to ride out on you. First and foremost, what dynasty? What are you talking about? You guys are babies. You're barely walking. Hey, hey, here's a dynasty. The last two years you've been in the play-in. That ain't no goddamn dynasty. Second of all, he's like, we sent our, his ass to Golden State. No, actually, you didn't. You sent him to the Miami Heat, and he went to the finals. Facts. He went to the finals. Andre Iguodala did get booed, right? He did get booed in Memphis. Andre Iguodala's in the game. The reason he is not well-received in Memphis is after he was traded, he never played here. Remember on this show, I mean, we talked about how John Moran, it's destiny that he was going to win MVP. And this was yeah, before he got hurt. Now he got hurt. So don't try that shit. Everyone's going to go, oh, me, I thought you said he got hurt. Everyone knows you got to play games in order to be MVP or win any of these awards. Of course. And one of the comps that I made for John Morant was Derek Rose when he won MVP at 23 years old and that it was destiny. The voters were enamored with the narrative of the Chicago Bulls, the good versus the evil, taking down the evil Miami Heat and winning that number one seed. And it feels a lot like John Morant and Memphis this season, right? And people were expecting a huge, huge shift in the NBA. It's not the Heatles that are going to take over and win the dynasty. It's going to be this Bulls team, Tom Thibodeau, Jimmy Butler, Derrick Rose. That squad is going to be ruling the East. And then what happened? Unpredictable shit happened. And the Chicago Bulls never got back to that place in that first year. So just as a cautionary tale before we go all talking about dynasty, the closest comp for this team, Memphis Grizzlies, and that Chicago Bulls team in 2011, it's not as easy in the league as you might think, Dylan Brooks. The only thing you got dynasty going is like it's a soap opera and you guys are so dramatic. Get out of here. You know, my favorite thing was I went back and I looked at all the conjecture and the conversations surrounding this issue back in February 2020 when Iguodala was traded to Miami. And Steph Curry at the time shot back with a tweet that was just a picture of Andre Iguodala with the Larry O'Brien trophy and a champion's <laughs> hat on. And the emoji, the finger to the closed lips as if to say, Shh, be quiet. Be quiet indeed. And that, my folks, is not the only time we're going to talk about Larry O'Brien in this podcast, my folks. It's a future callback for the Larry O.B. <laughs> the true essence of the game, your bottom isn't really that low. That bottom's still high. And I feel like now we're at a point where the bottom is is, is getting lower and lower. And we got to keep, you know, as, as gatekeepers of the game, we got to do a better job of making sure that we're taking care of the game. I'm giving y'all too much. It should be in my podcast, by the way. You know, it's funny that Andre Iguodala has joined Metal Arc Point Forward podcast because I, I have been out on a limb to say he's a Hall of Famer. And I point to this stat is that of that Warriors dynasty, the dynasty, capital D dynasty, a real dynasty, who had the best plus minus of any warrior in that dynasty run? 
It's Andre Iguodala. Really? More than Draymond, huh? He is the modern day, no stats all-star where he does all the in-between things. Steve Kerr told me he is the greatest amplifier of this era. He reminds him a lot of Scottie Pippen for Michael Jordan. And I know Scottie Pippen's name has been tarnished uh, over the past few months, but the comp still applies is that Andre Iguodala is goat status. He's been goaded. He finals MVP. And Dylan Brooks is coming at him and talking about dynasties, man. Andre Iguodala's been out here for a long time. He's been through a lot. And he's also been at the very top. Next time Dylan Brooks is the finals MVP, maybe he should chat. I just don't get what he doesn't understand about a guy who's 36 years old not wanting to wait the two years it took you guys to be not playing worthy. He should have just sat here and waited for that shit. Again, he went to the finals in the meantime, one more time. By the way, went to the finals six years in a row. Try that. Try doing that, Dylan Brooks. Go six years in a row. Go once. Go to the finals once. How about that? I like this, Amin, though, because we need storylines. We need drama in the NBA. We need an arc nephesis for the Memphis Grizzlies. And here we go. Golden State Warriors. I like it. It's a little less fun when Steph Curry and Draymond Green are in street clothes, but still Memphis does need an arch nemesis on this platform. I am looking, by the way, it's arch nemesis. I am looking forward to Grizzlies Warriors in the playoffs, provided that the Warriors are healthy. This idea that he does a victory lap on Andre Iguodala when literally their entire team is the Santa Cruz Warriors at this point. To call it laughable doesn't begin to describe it. And again, the funny thing is, this was something that was mutually agreed upon between Iguodala and the Memphis Grizzlies when he got traded there. He was never supposed to play. I don't know why Dylan Brooks is holding on to this. I think you need to find a better boogeyman than Andre Fucan Iguodala. Speaking of the boogeyman, is Gino Ariema women's college basketball's boogeyman? Are we not allowed to say his name? What's going on here? Nah, the boogeyman can travel. <laughs> Coming up right now, we're going to talk to Kate Fagan and Jessica Smetana of the Off the Looking Glass podcast. We'll get down into the dirty about UConn and why they don't travel. You all think I'm licked. Well, I'm not licked. And I'm going to stay right here and fight for this lost cause, even if this room gets filled with lies like these. And the tailors and all their armies come marching into this place. Somebody will listen to me. There's no better way to overpower a trickle of doubt than with a flood of naked truth. But the complexity and the gray lie not in the truth. But what you do with the truth once you have it. What is true and right is true and right for all. You and I both know that that's just not the truth. You can't handle the truth! It's too messy. Keeps them up nice. I'm here because in the end, the truth is worth the risk. Speak a little truth and people lose their minds. I'm a grown man. You can tell me the truth. Why is it people who want the truth never believe it when they hear it? So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do something really outrageous. I'm going to tell the truth. I mean, this is called the Basketball Illuminati Podcast. This is not men's basketball Illuminati. We cover all of the basketball Illuminati, the things that happen in the world of hoops that doesn't seem right. Wherever there's an injustice, Tom, we'll be there. Wherever a child goes hungry, we'll be there. And wherever there's a basketball conspiracy, you're goddamn right, we'll be there. And there's a basketball conspiracy a-brewing. That's right. Last night, NC State Women's basketball lost to UConn in a thriller, but that wasn't the biggest story of the night. The biggest story in basketball was what happened after the game. Maze, why don't we run the clip? And NC State, you, you know, hats off to you. I mean, this environment. This, this environment that you have to play we're in. We going to talk about that? Or right. are, are we going to talk about that? No. No, we're going to talk about that. We don't have to talk about that. Right. And so now we are joined by our fellow Lebetard and friends, Metal Lark, comrades. We have Jessica Smetana and Kate Fagan of the Off the Looking Glass podcast. It's an amazing show. Right now it's on a little bit of a break. Oh, Amin has a little cowbell going. We're getting excited. Yeah. And this is something that immediately hit my mentions. People were sending us, hey, we need to do a crossover episode of Kate and Jess to come on to this show. So first of all, Welcome to Basketball Illuminati. And secondly, 
Did you plant that clip last night for your show? Oh, it's a thrill to be here. I want to say that we did plant the seed for that clip. In fact, all of the takes that are pointing out the injustices in the world of the women's basketball tournament right now, Jessica and I feel that we are the parents of those clips, of those takes. Wherever in the world people are talking about the bias and the privilege that UConn holds in women's basketball, wherever they are, they all come back to us on Off the Looking Glass. At least that's how we feel. It's probably not true, but that is the place we have landed. But it does seem like UConn privilege has gone mainstream in that now I'm reading athletic articles about it, basketball Illuminati's talking about it. Mm -hmm. It was on ESPN and for some reason wasn't discussed last night after the game, although I do know that on that show, after the seating, both of the hosts of that show, Monica McNutt and L. Duncan, were skeptical of how NC State and UConn ended up in the Bridgeport bracket. But that's besides the point. The point is, UConn privilege has gone mainstream now. I think you guys all have to take a page out of Stugatz's handbook, and you got to go sausage fingers to the camera and say, we were the first to do it. Everybody followed our lead, and this is officially our territory. Now, so you got to take it a step too far and say everyone needs to back off. But, of course, this is what you guys want, right? And this is what we want. Whenever there is this sort of shenanigans going, we want people to talk about it. But we also want people to recognize that we were the first ones talking about it. And that's, <laughs> that's the key here. And the order in which we care about those two things is up for debate. Yeah. <laughs> for those who aren't in the know, Tom set the stage. What is the Yukon privilege thing that we are talking about? Yeah, so I've been listening to the podcast Off the Looking Glass, and I'm from Connecticut. And Ooh. I didn't quite realize Ooh. the depths to which... Just kidding. We're unbiased here. I'm just kidding. Yeah, we're unbiased. I'm the Bridgeport expert. You can't boo me. I'm going to give you stuff about Bridgeport. We're going to talk about that. He's the man on the inside. Who do you work for? <laughs> One of their own. Who does Haverstro work for? Double agent. I've eaten Gino's tomato red sauce before because I think <laughs> they do have a Gino Ariema like tomato sauce in the supermarkets at Stop and Shop. I might have bought a couple and, and eaten them before. I don't know. I can't confirm nor deny. But the point is, is I did not realize the depths to which UConn privilege, big UConn, the outsized bias or influence, I should say, Kate's coined that term, the outsized influence of UConn on top of the sport. And this latest example is fascinating to me because Gino seems so insecure about this. I think there's a quote about him calling reporters or, or just the general mass of people, you idiots for believing that there's some sort of reason conspiracy that has UConn getting home court advantage as the number two seed in a region that features NC State as the number one seed. So how do we get here? How do we get to NC State not having home court advantage in a region just like we see all around college hoops in the tournament time? Let's break this down here because the overarching theory here is that there is a bias in basketball for UConn for lots of reasons we have laid out. And please go listen to Off the Looking Glass for that whole section. But here, what we're talking about, UConn ending up in Bridgeport. I have a couple sources who the last three to four years have been part of the seating and the selection committee down in Indianapolis for the NCAA. I have also in the past gone and done a mock seating. I've sat in that room for four hours and I know in the women's tournament in particular, what is baked into the seating. And probably much like the men's tournament, they use the S curve. So they actually seed the top four seeds in order. And then the S curve comes back around and they reverse seed the two seeds so that the one seed is actually playing the eight, right? The last two seed, the worst one seed, which is a weird thing to say, is playing the best two seed. You get it. So you take that S all the way down. According to my sources, <laughs> I feel very official saying that, <laughs> it was clear that it was South Carolina, Stanford, NC State, Louisville. Now coming back around on the S curve, it would have been Texas and Baylor interchangeable because they really were very close this year and the regular season and the tournament. Each of them won one of them. And then after that would have been UConn and then Iowa. So that's your top eight. According to these sources, it is very clear that UConn should have gone to Spokane and played Stanford. But here's what happens on the women's side of the tournament, which does not happen on the men's side of the tournament. A key variable that gets weighed dramatically 
is miles from hometown. <laughs> and that is plugged into the equation. No. And you have liberty, and I did this down in Indianapolis. If a team is geographically close to a region, you can, with indiscretion, like you don't have to explain it, you can bump them up or down a spot. So what we have here is a situation in which it was obvious that if we use this magical wand we have of geographical location, we can move UConn up a slot so that they can stay in Bridgeport and they don't have to go to Spokane to play Stanford. And that is how we end up with this and we end up with the NCAA's response. And the justification is? Right after the seeding came out, anyone who was following this election show was like, how is this happening? UConn's the second seed and they're going to have home court advantage if they make it against the one seed, NC State, which is what happened last night. And so the Duke athletic director, who's the NCAA selection committee chair, Nina King, she was asked about it and she said, First and foremost, we start with the S-curve, and then we've got bracketing principles we follow to make sure that any conflicts are avoided. Same conference matchups, for example, in the first or second rounds are games that have already happened between teams this year. Then we take into account fan experience, student-athlete welfare, modes of transportation, whether it's a drive or a flight. So there's a variety of things we certainly take into account and had a lot of discussion about. Certainly, UConn and Bridgeport was one of those things that we spent a lot of time on ensuring that we got it right. Fan experience? Fan experience, which is obviously code for ticket sales. We want to fill these arenas. Money, money. It's why we have in our intro. But you start to follow the money and you don't know where the f*** is going to take you. This is an example of following the money. Everything, when you put it through the prism of that pyramid with an all-seeing eye on top of it, on the back of the $1 bill, you look through that keyhole, you see an entire world differently. And This is another example, Tom, of what we're talking about, right? Where they want to steer us into believing that this is all about uh, all these excuses. But in reality, it comes down to one thing, one thing only. Their own financial game. Gain. Or game. Or game. Financial game, too. Yeah, that works, too. Yeah. Speaking of games, I actually did some research here, believe it or not. And the idea of the fan experience, it seems to be only justified through UConn and not the other teams. Because when I looked at the regions for the number two seeds for not just the women's tournament, but the men's tournament, too, it seems like this is an exception to the rule that UConn women's gets to play at Bridgeport, Connecticut, which is 79 miles away from the campus in stores, Connecticut. Okay. Then the women's tournament, the regions were as follows. The Bridgeport region, which UConn was the number two seed, again, 79 miles away. In Greensboro, Iowa was the number two seed, and they had to go to Greensboro, North Carolina, which is 915 miles away. Baylor, number two seed in the Wichita region, had to go 445 miles. And then Texas and Spokane, 1,989 miles, which means the non-UConn average distance traveled for the regional site, the number two seeds, was an average of 1,116 miles. I'm Tom Haverstrow, and you're watching The Big Number. Then over on the men's side, the number two seed in the East Region, Kentucky, had to go to Philadelphia. Auburn had to go to Chicago. Villanova had to go to San Antonio. And Duke had to go to San Francisco. That's an average of 1,490 miles, which means that the number two seeds not named UConn would have to travel on average... 1,330 miles away from their campus, but UConn women, only 79. 79 to 1,330 miles on average. Are there any examples of any other number two seed benefiting from this kink in the formula? Oh, you mean other than UConn? Other than UConn. You don't kink shame here at the Basketball Illuminati, I mean. (laughs) There's not another UConn. Like Notre Dame, for example, does Notre Dame get these same sort of comforts of having a regional by their campus? I don't think so, right? I don't know off the top of my head, but the biggest example of the retort that I've seen the most from UConn fans about this instance was, well, South Carolina got to play in Greensboro, North Carolina. No one's complaining about that. That was three hours away from their campus. But 
they're the one seed. So the argument isn't about the one seeds getting the preference. It's about the two seed having home court against the one seed. That's the advantage of being the one seed. You're a little bit closer to home. UConn wasn't the number one seed this year. They had injuries. They lost some games. So they were the number two seed. So they shouldn't have that same advantage in a perfect world, but they still were able to play these games in Bridgeport. And if you watch the NC State-UConn game, you could tell it was home court for UConn. And if we pull out and we really assess the broader point here, there's two layers to it. In this year, what happens is that regardless of whether UConn wins the tournament, they have now made it to the final weekend, which means that all of the media coverage and all of the storylines will once again center on UConn and probably Paige Beckers. Not because Paige Beckers isn't amazing. That is unequivocally true. And UConn's really good. Yes. UConn is a phenomenal basketball team. And they're second favored to win in drafting sportsbook behind South Carolina right now, even though they're the only two seed in the final four. Well, it helps when you're having to play in Bridgeport, right? Right. Part of that is baked into that odds. And for 15 years, people have been saying, well, somebody come along and beat UConn. Get your program good enough to beat UConn. We are now in a place where you can point to six to eight programs who could beat UConn. But what we're learning this year is that what people are actually saying and what the NCAA committee is actually saying because of the money that's baked into it that they want and the exposure that they want from UConn is that you don't have to be good enough to beat UConn. You have to be good enough to beat UConn on their home floor. You guys are data heads, Tom. What is that? You have to be, on a given night, 3.5 points better than you are on an average night if you're going into a sold-out arena. That's right. You unpeel the layers of it and the monopoly and the ball that is rolling in UConn's favor. And part of the subject of UConn privilege is that this doesn't happen on the men's side because baked into the equation is not geography because they can make money wherever they go because of the TV rights and the way the NCAA in its Indiana headquarters sells the men's side of the tournament. So they don't have to have geography baked in. And that is another layer of this UConn bias story. I mean, they could have had Coach K playing in Durham, right? Yeah. For that regional. But they sent him to San Francisco. Of all the opportunities to get the great story of Coach K playing against whoever it is in the regional in his neighborhood so it'd be packed with Cameron crazies. No, they sent him to San Francisco. Tom, but of course... Tom, Tom, they can't make it that obvious. <laughs> they already played with finally going to throw us off the scent one way or another. This is all part of it, right? Like, this is the gaslighting that they do, right? They do this obvious, obvious manipulation with UConn and then for plausible deniability's sake, oh, oh, Coach K is in San Francisco. As if to say, hey, man, if we wouldn't do it for Coach K on his farewell tour, why would we do it for Gino on a regular Tuesday? Yeah, right. Jess, don't you have a quote here from Gino? It's an amazing quote. When I read this quote, Tom, that I'm about to read, I honestly wasn't sure if it was real or not. But this is from Gino Ariema at a Middlesex Country Chamber of Commerce breakfast. I don't think we could have made up a better quote from Gino. Everybody in the country complains all the time that we get sent to Bridgeport or we get sent to Albany. Well, you idiots, it's because we're the number one seed in the country every year. So where else are they going to send us? Because we earn the right to be close to home. That's why we're always in Bridgeport are always in Albany. So here we are going to Bridgeport, and you're going to hear the uproar next week. It's not fair. NC State's got to come up here, and they're going to have to play Connecticut, maybe on Connecticut's home court. Blah, 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 blah. What a terrible thing that is. Well, you know, that's life. <laughs> this is the Mike Wilbon hang tough <laughs> argument, right? We talk about Clinton Kershaw's win percentage not being good enough despite an ERA of like .000001. And Frank Isola says, what's he supposed to do when he doesn't get the run support? And he says, we got to hang tough. That's exactly what Gino Ariema did when presented with an argument that completely pokes holes in the statement he just made, which is, well, we're a one seed every year. Well, this year you're not, homie. Yep. What's his answer? That's life. That's life for UConn. I wonder why Bridgeport is even on the list of potential places to play these games. Because if you're talking about fan experience and you want people to travel to these games from out of town and make a weekend out of it, some of the regional men's locations I thought this year were like places that I could legitimately see spending a weekend seeing things that there are to see. 
going to museums, places with big airports where you can actually go in and out of the city easily. Bridgeport isn't that. What? I don't even know what the closest airport is to Bridgeport, Connecticut. It's almost as if they expected people to drive in and then drive home. Make a day trip out of it. San Francisco versus Bridgeport. Men's side versus the women's side is quite a difference. I know like the arenas are smaller. The total mortgage arena where the game was played is a 10,000 seat stadium. I know there's contracts that are involved in that and ticket sales all are things that are considered when you're picking these regional sites, right? But to me, Bridgeport is a bridge too far. Things to do in Bridgeport. It's a beautiful city. It's on the water. It's great. Forget that it's a Long Island sound. It's on the water. Look at smokestacks. They got plenty of those, right? Yep. Dilapidated factories, burned down warehouses. Sure. Let's see what else you got. Stores, Connecticut isn't too far. Oh, no, no, no. Erase that Wait. one. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I didn't mean it. <laughs> the loud part quiet, the quiet part loud. Here's where they played as the number two seed since 2004. Bridgeport, Albany, Bridgeport, and Bridgeport. <laughs> In 2005, they played as the number three seed in Kansas City. And what happened? They got bounced in the Sweet 16. They lost by 17 points. Data. They got barbecued chicken. 1998, as the number two seed, they didn't get placed in Bridgeport or Albany. They were in Dayton, Ohio, and they lost in the Elite Eight. We can keep going. It is not a good track record of UConn having to play outside of Albany or Bridgeport and their successes after that. Remember, in 2004, when they're in the number two seed, they won big against Penn State, who was the number one seed. But Penn State had to go to Bridgeport, and UConn eventually won the title that year. So if they were not positioned in Bridgeport and, say, Iowa City or Charlottesville or Philadelphia, well, Philadelphia is pretty close, what would happen to that season? It just seems time and time again they get that treatment of a number one seed, even though they are not the number one seed. We've kind of glossed over something. I know you guys have mentioned this on Off the Looking Glass, but the idea that this is, as you said, Jess, you guys have started talking this conversation. This conversation is national. The Athletic wrote about it. Fans are talking about it. Gene R.M. is denying it at Rotary Clubs. (laughs) ESPN does not talk about it. Can we unpack that a little bit? They weren't actually muzzled to talk about that, or was that? I doubt that because this morning, Monica McNutt, who was in that clip, tweeted, I'm really excited about where the women's game is going and acknowledge UConn as a brand, but when the women's college basketball convo nationally doesn't center on them and doesn't only pop in March, we'll be making major progress. I don't think this is actually something that they're not allowed to talk about, and I don't even know if ESPN's coverage of UConn plays into this so much and the NCAA's seeding and the structure of the NCAA tournament. But I think to Kate and I's earlier point, we were first and we were right. <laughs> Just hold on a second. I hear Monica's tweet and that doesn't sound like an acknowledgement. It sounds like a, hey guys, you know what? We got a long way to go before we can talk about the greatness of the game and not talk about UConn all the time. Yeah, we're talking about UConn, Monica. Yeah, we are, because this is an undeniable fact. We we have the numbers. We have the data. The idea that the average 2C travel on both the men's and women's side is over 1,000 miles, and these guys, as Kate eloquently put it, are doing a day trip. <laughs> They're going an hour and 10 minutes down the road. It's unconscionable. So I'm not saying they're muzzled. Hey, you know what, Jess? We've got a saying around here. I'm not accusing ESPN of muzzling. I'm just asking the question. Did y'all want to talk about this at all? Can I ask that question and not get a defensive tweet the next day, by the way? The next day after, like, oh, why are we all talking about UConn? Just asking a question. Why aren't we talking about UConn? I'm going to ask a question here. Kate, Jess, where can people find the podcast and join the Off the Looking Glass community online, on Twitter? Where can they find you? And what will you be covering here in season two of Off the Looking Glass? Well, they can find Off the Looking Glass wherever... They get their podcasts, Apple, Spotify, all of the other places. The conversation usually happens on our Twitter feeds at Kate Fagan three at Jessica underscore Smetana. We're thinking about getting our own Twitter handle like we've noticed that basketball Illuminati has. So that could be something that we do in coming seasons. But for this season, season two, the season premiere guest is Gina Davis, who what? is what? finally, yes, wow, going to answer the question of whether Dottie Henson dropped the ball on purpose. So that's coming in season two. She did. I mean, she obviously did. Conspiracy. 
And if you want to listen back to season one of Off the Looking Glass, you can listen to our interview with Muffet McGraw that made headlines in this conversation about Yukon and Gino Ariema. And just the other day, Muffet McGraw tweeted, but could we talk about regionals? They're supposed to be at neutral sites. I know the attendance hasn't been great, so let's try something new. But holding a regional in someone's backyard every year, that has to change. And you can listen to that interview from season one of Off the Looking Glass, wherever you get your podcasts. Called Coach Speak. One thing I do love about Off the Looking Glass is that it's evergreen. You can go back and listen to these episodes and not feel like this is stale or outdated. It feels new. So go listen to the first season of Off the Looking Glass on the Levitard and Friends podcast network. Go follow Jess, go follow Kate, and continue fighting the good fight, Jess and Kate, about UConn privilege. We're not biased, though. Our foundation is pure. Thank you, and welcome to the Basketball Illuminati podcast. We'll have you on again soon. Keep your third eye open. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Wow, I mean, I've seen some things on the internet. We all have. But on Sunday night, Baby. I saw something that just blew my mind. Kenny Beecham, at K-O-T-4-Q on Twitter, did a two-minute video that absolutely melted my brain. It went viral. Two million people have watched. Let's roll it. So the Lakers just lost to the Pelicans. And NBA social media teams have to make a graphic to tell the rest of the fans if they won or lost. And it's the same across all 30 organizations. Every team does it. But I was looking at the Lakers final tweet and I saw this one and it was interesting. Told y'all they not putting LeBron's picture in an L final score tweet. I wonder if he got that in his contract LMAO. And I saw that and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna go ahead and do that research. I'm gonna go look at every single final score tweet from the Lakers social media team and try to figure out if LeBron James has ever been used as the picture of a loss. So what I found out was the Lakers have lost 43 games this season and LeBron James has not been used on a loss graphic at all. And what you'll realize is Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook have not been used on a losing graphic yet. Whoa. Lakers got some explaining to do. Lots of people, I mean, were hitting us up. <laughs> and thank you so much to the Illumin Army out there that were making us aware of this tweet. It is just incredible. We've got eyes everywhere, folks. But you know what? We decided to keep it going. We were not satisfied with just looking at LeBron James. We wanted to know. What about the other players in the league? Is this a thing? Are they protected by their franchises like LeBron James and Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook? Is this just a unique thing to the Lakers or do all stars get this treatment, this protection from their franchise? Their sensitive souls are protected and coddled. But no, I mean, we did our homework, man. This took a lot of man hours. And this is what we do here at Basketball Illuminati, right? We do the work so that you don't have to. You wonder these things. We go out and leave no stone unturned and find the truth. 
wherever it is, however hard they try to hide it from us. Tom, share with the people what truth we found this week. So we looked at the biggest stars in the league and how often they appear on those lost graphics with a photo of a player in there. And of course, as Kenny Beecham found out that LeBron James has not appeared in any of those lost graphics and Malik Monk, for whatever reason, has appeared in double digit one of those. And he is the scapegoat for the Lakers that when they lose, let's put Malik Monk's face on that loss. So when we actually checked the rest of the NBA, we found an anomaly. LeBron James, the only one. What? Well, to be fair, he's not the only one. It's him. Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook. Oh, what a coincidence. Oh, how about that? <laughs> They're all on the same team. Tom, what about the other MVP candidates in the league? Yes, yeah, so we looked at the Denver Nuggets feed. Nikola Jokic. How many times did he appear in the loss graphics? Not once, not twice, 12 times. 26 times the Nuggets lost in a game that Nikola Jokic played in. And in 12 of those times, they decided to make him the face, if you will, of the loss. The Lakers, 30 potential losses they could use as LeBron James as the face of that loss. And they cowardly put him zero times in that photo. Mm. So Jokic, double digit times he's appeared in that loss graphic. Joel Embiid, hey, you know, he might be a little sensitive about having the entire organization on his shoulders with Philly and he's dealing with all the drama with Ben Sims. Maybe they protect him a little bit. Nope. Joel Embiid, 10 times he's been the face of that loss graphic and he's only been on the floor for 20 losses. So 50% of the time that he is eligible to be on a loss graphic, he is the face of that loss. That's got to be the easiest caption too, right? Just trust the process, guys. That's all we got to do. We kept going. Giannis Antetokounmpo, defending champ. He's already anointed. Mm -hmm. Why do we have to throw him under their bus on these loss graphics? Nope. 13 times he was in a loss graphic. You sensing a trend here, I mean? 13 times out of how many, Tom? Tell the people. 21 times. 62% of the time that Giannis could have been the loss graphic of the night, he was. And it keeps going. Trey Young. Trey Young, a young millennial, Tom, right? Trey Young, who still remembers the people who said that Luka Doncic should be better and carries that chip on his shoulder every day. Trey Young, one would think, does not want to be affiliated with the losses that the Atlanta Hawks incur when he's out there. Guess what? 23 times out of a possible 34, he was the loss infographic. That's good for 68%. Wow. Trey Young told the Knicks to hold that out because he had so many in his pocket. He's carrying them around. 23 of them. Speaking of the Knicks, Julius Randle, 13 times. Kemba Walker. They don't even want to play Kemba Walker, but he's been that lost graphic seven times. Bradley Beal. Think about this. Bradley Beal can be a free agent this summer. Mm -hmm. There's so much reason not to alienate him or upset him about being the face of the losses. Even Bradley Beal. 17 loss graphics of a potential 23. He got injured, and so he wasn't around for all their losses. But 17 of their 23 losses that he was a part of, he was the face of that loss. Three out of four, basically, right? Isn't that roughly 75%? That's right. Well, Bradley Beal was injured a lot of the season, so I can understand why he should have had a higher number than Trey Young. He's got a higher percentage. Surely that's the highest, right? Because he's the biggest star on Washington by far. No, there is a goat of scapegoats here. If we're going to call this being the scapegoat for the loss, there is a goat of the scapegoats. The greatest scape of all time. And his name is Kevin Wayne Durant. Whoa! KD. Kevin Durant. This blew my mind. Durant's played in 17 Nets losses. And of those 17 net losses, he's been the scapegoat. 14 out of 17 times. Wow. Folks, that's 82%. This is insane to me because we always think of Kevin Durant as the sensitive one, right? right? He's going at people's mentions on Twitter and we think of him as a thin-skinned superstar. And here we have Kevin Durant, who is the most scapegoated star in the league in terms of when they lose, he's the face of it. Remember, the Lakers will not let LeBron James, or is it the other way around? LeBron James won't let the Lakers make him the face of it or Russell Westbrook or Anthony Davis because maybe that makes him look bad. 
But here we have the people's champ, Kevin Durant, with 14 lost graphics to LeBron zero. An honest MVP candidate. Shout out to Cinephobe. You know what I find more fascinating than Durant being the scapegoat, the goat of scapegoats, is all the people who have had this honor bestowed upon them more than LeBron. (laughs) Names like Corey Kispert, who's been there three times. Mm. Or how about my guy, Frank Milikina? Who I didn't even know was still in the league. How about Amir Coffey? He's a two-way player. He's been on there four times. How about this, Amin? Isaiah Thomas has been that face of the L for two different teams, including the Lakers. But I think my favorite three names on this list, I can't decide which. I really can't. So I want you guys to help me. These are three names that have had the honor bestowed upon them more than LeBron, more than Anthony Davis, more than Russell Westbrook. At number three on my list is Tom Thibodeau, head coach of the Knicks. He's been on there seven times. Mm. It's amazing. <laughs> CAA, baby. For richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, Tom Thibodeau is going to be the face of that franchise. At number two on the list, Allen Houston. What? What the hell? <laughs> he hasn't played in the league in almost 20 years. But somehow he found his way on an infographic more often than LeBron, Anthony Davis, or Russell Westbrook. I was looking this up in the Knicks lost graphics. November 30th, they lost to Brooklyn. They had a photo of Alec Burks, and then they had this like grayscale Allen Houston driving on Kerry Kittles. I was like, what's going on here? Did they both die or something? Did they pass away? Some of these lost graphics, they have these like grayscale additions, and Allen Houston was in a lost graphic, and LeBron James hasn't been in one, but Allen Houston has. What's going on here? Maze, is there anything more 20 CB than Allen Houston driving on Kerry oh, Kittles? man. Only if Sean Bradley was there to get dunked on on the way. <laughs> but they don't call it the creative. Creative Arts Agency for nothing, Tom. They got to come up with the most interesting ways to sell that loss to the big bongers out there. But guys, Al Houston was number two on my list. Oh, who's number one? Yeah, what was number one? Who's left? I'm glad that you say what was number one. This is who was number one, Tom. Because number one was Larry O'Brien. Larry O'Brien, the trophy. The trophy has been... On the infographic, more than LeBron, Anthony Davis, and Russell Westbrook combined. And kudos to the Milwaukee Bucks because that's a cool-ass way to acknowledge your team lost tonight. They just posted a picture of the trophy and said, in essence, suck on it. Suck on the Larry OB. Opening game, they played Miami, and it was ugly. And they just said, you know what? Larry OB. The moral of the story here is... So as you guys can see, the behavior by the Lakers, this is not norm compared to other star caliber players across the league. Tom, who came closest, I guess, to approaching Lakers' version of putting their stars on blast? This one pains me to say as a North Carolinian, I was going through the Charlotte Hornets losses this season and a certain player was nowhere to be seen. Which charlatan couldn't you find, Tom? (laughs) LaMelo Ball. Wait a second. They just had him on not too long ago. I mean... Check the timestamp on that. When did LaMelo Ball appear as a solo shot on the loss graphic most recently? Was it Monday night, I mean? After the video dropped. Mm. Think about it. Do the math. When did the video come out, everybody? Sunday. Sunday night. This is very interesting for a couple of reasons. One, that LaMelo Ball would be, I guess, protected given that he's only been on there twice out of how many opportunities? 33. So I say twice, but it's really 1.5. So he had a solo shot on Monday night in their loss. It was a bad loss. They post LaMelo Ball as the face of that L. But earlier this season, they lost a game and he did appear in the loss graphic. But interestingly enough, it was the only time that the Charlotte Hornets organization posted two players in their photo. And it happened to be in the foreground Terry Rozier, and then kind of behind him, not the primary player, but it was LaMelo Ball. Like they were trying to hide something. Right. They couldn't have LaMelo as the focal point of that shot. When we looked at this, they had Cody Martin was appearing six times, Mason Plumley a bunch of times, but LaMelo Ball had not appeared as a solo face of their loss until Monday night. And you wonder why that might be. Connect the dots, folks. Keep your eyes open. Someone in that department, I'm guessing, 
saw that viral tweet and was like, we got to get LaMelo out here. We're next. This tracks really with the research that we've done, talking to people around the league who are in these positions of power, I guess you could call it, who make these infographics, who post these infographics. And I can confirm that this is something that teams are talking about. They are absolutely having discussions after this video came out, doing self internal reflection, looking at their policies and looking at their track records and trying to address that because now they know everyone's under the microscope. Right, because they fear that they will be the next one to get posterized by Kenny Beecham or whoever it or is. Or basketball Illuminati. Illuminati. With the eye of Sauron in its tower, shining its light across all of Middle Earth. Shout out to Smeddy. We will find you. We will shine the light on you. And I think that brings... Me back to my favorite thing about all of this. Are the Lakers doing this on purpose? Meaning, is this the action of a social media manager who is kind of subconsciously doing this? Or is this being done on a directive from up above? A mandate. The sources that we talk to from other teams seem to think, there's no confirmation here, but they feel like based on what's happening, that this is absolutely a mandate from up above. I'm not here to confirm or deny it, Tom Habistro and Anthony Mays. I'm here to ask the Lakers, what are you hiding over there? You can pick up on things and just kind of have a feeling. Like, I, I haven't seen a whole lot of this or that. You know, I haven't seen a whole lot of LeBron in these loss graphics. But Mays, what happens when you got data? It's undeniable. Just like with Marat Kogut. We know this isn't random. We know they took him away from the Warriors. The numbers don't lie, folks. The Lakers did not put their superstars in their loss graphics. Do you think it's a coincidence? Too much data for coincidence, if you ask me. And I'm going to tell you like this. You might say, Amin, Maze, Tom, who gives a shit? Who gives a shit whether or not this team acknowledges its loss with one of its star players in the infographic? It's not about whether it's important or not. It's about it was important enough for them to want to control the narrative in a certain way. And that's what we're here to debunk and bust at Basketball Illuminati. We're here to let you know that the thing that you think is just some random happenstance, some coincidence, is really a carefully curated and orchestrated agenda. Yep, until Kenny did his research and then we did a more comprehensive look. I didn't even consider the agenda that these teams might be having behind closed doors. I mean, Tom, you might say you were blind to it, but now I see. Did you notice who was really low on that list too? Not just LaMelo Ball and LeBron. Who's that? Jimmy Butler. <laughs> Throw a clipboard at that. Jimmy Butler. They didn't want to slap his photo on a loss graphic. Yeah. Is he going to fight us? Keep his name out your mouth. Is that what he's saying? Oh, not this again. Just three mentions in the loss graphics of the 28 players that they mentioned this season. 19 games that he could have been the face of that loss but who are they protecting who's pat riley trying to protect jimmy butler wow how about this i mean maybe it's all staged maybe this is all pointing to jimmy butler trying to light a fire under jimmy butler they're afraid of him but spo's not afraid i mean spo's not afraid tom i mean left Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.